everyone and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell and tonight we're going to kick back and talk a little bit about how the Reds pulled off a big win this afternoon and the Indians just stunk up the joint in their home opener at Progressive Field. Dave Mitchell alongside with our resident Reds expert Mark Donahue. Mark, it's a good night for Reds fans. Yeah, it is. In fact, it's been a pretty good week for Reds fans and I think as you and I talked before the season began, uh, I would have been perfectly happy if the Reds got through April playing 500 ball. And even this first week, the first 12 games where they had to play uh, the Anime, uh, LA Angels, uh, they played the Washington Nationals, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Pittsburgh Pirates, those 12 games, I guess I'd be pretty happy at the beginning of the year had the Reds gone 6-6 six and six in those 12 games. But as it stands right now, you tend to get greedy when you're 5-2, and two, and now 6-6 six and six would be a big disappointment. But uh, the Reds are playing very good ball. Uh, they've won five games. They've lost two. And those two games they lost, they lost one in 11 innings and one game in 13 innings. Could have won those games too. But, uh, again, the greed factor gets in. But you got to be happy. If you're a Reds fan, the Reds are 5-2. and two. Well, yeah, and especially this afternoon, Mark, uh, we're going to get into the Indians game. It just ended at Progressive Field. The Indians lost their ball game this afternoon, 11-6 to six to the New York Yankees. And thank God the Yankees had Travis Hafner coming home to Cleveland, and let's hope that he doesn't have to lift another baby up this year. Otherwise, the Yankees are going to be hurting a DH. But... Nonetheless, let's talk about the Reds first of all. They win 13-4 to this afternoon. It was really the tale of two games for Shinsu Chu, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, I think everybody knows now who watched or heard about the Reds game that Chu uh, dro- dropped two fly balls in center field. I mean, I mean they, they were relatively easy catches that he dropped. Uh, I was listening to the Cardinal broadcast on MLB.com, and they both said, both announcers, that it's a really tough sunfield in center field at that time of day in Cleveland, or in St. Louis. And even after the game, Brandon Phillips said the same thing. And I mentioned to you off-air that one of the interesting things I thought happened is after he dropped the second fly ball, and he was sitting on the dugout, obviously not feeling great, and Matt Latos, the starting pitcher, who didn't get the win because he dropped those balls, came over to him, sat down, put his arm around him, patted him on the head, and you know, basically said, forget about it, man, you're a good center fielder. And two or three of the teammates walked by, patted him on the back, supported him, picked him up, and the next three at-bats, over the next two innings, two went single walk, or walk single double, but the bases loaded, drove in three runs. So for all you young players out there, when you do make a mistake in the field or you strike out, don't take it with you to the field. If, if you make an error, don't take it with you to the plate. They're two separate games, and I, I think today, honestly, from team camaraderie, uh, may have been a, a great turning point for this team. And, uh, again, the Reds off to a great start, but you're right. Uh, a tale of two games, and I would, <laughs> I would have lost a lot of money had I 
if somebody said, you think the Reds are going to win this game, let alone win it by 13 to, what, 13 to 4. Uh, but, boy, that ninth inning was something like I haven't seen for a long time. Well, I want to come back to that in just a second, Mark. A couple of house cleaning items right away. You can get in contact with us uh, on tonight's show at askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. You can also tweet me at ohbbcohost on Twitter. Um, and to just let everyone know, the first Monday night in May, we are going to attempt to take phone calls. So we're going to uh, try that out for a couple of weeks and see how it works. We're also going to have our Ask Us segment coming up here in just a little bit. We've got a lot of questions this week, Mark, to, to go over. But first of all, I want to get back to this Reds game. And you had told me before we went on the air, you were listening to the Cardinal broadcasters, and they... Uh, sort of explained as to why they thought Shinsu Chu was having a tough time out in center. Yeah, they, they said the sun field is really tough there, and if it's anything like Great America Ballpark at about the same time, it's it's left field that is deadly. And I'd actually played on that field, and I played it around 5.30 or 6 o'clock, and you cannot see the ball. I mean, if, if the ball is hit up into the sun, you're completely blind. Now, I'm not saying that happened to Chu in center field, but that's what the Cardinal broadcaster said. <clears throat> so they were giving him a break on it. Uh, no matter what, he should have caught the ball. Uh, and what is striking is when these outfielders have sunglasses and they don't use them. I don't understand that. If you're not going to use them, why take them out there? But, you know, he, those are clearly balls you should have caught. Uh, give him a break on a sun field. See what happens the rest of the year. But uh, people back here t tend to believe that he can play center field. We'll see. Well, it's, it's like uh, you said that the Cardinal broadcasters were bringing that up. Chris Welch and Tom Brenham and I had the chance to watch that game this afternoon. I was flipping back and forth between the Indians and the Reds games. And uh, they talked about and debated as to whether or not he was having a tough time with the Suns. So that seemed to be the general consensus that that was a real tough time to be playing a ball game there. Yeah, that's why they typically don't play games that time of day because of the sun. In, in Great American Ballpark, uh, at about seven, during the middle of the summer, in June, July, August, uh, at the, the game started at 7.10. And the, for the first half hour of the game, uh, I remember watching Adam Dunn out there in left field. It used to be just painful. Because the ball goes up and you can't see it. The only time you can see it is when it starts to drop. And then, you know, either you're under it or you're not. But it's one of the worst fields I've ever seen uh, for a stun field in the major leagues. Typically, they, they maneuver those stadiums so they don't have that. Uh, they, you know, they, they do their homework and where the sun is setting and rising. But, uh, you know, it's, it's too bad that uh, Chu... Uh, bore the uh, the brunt of this of this Sunfield today. Yeah, Matt Latos battled against the Cardinals uh, throughout the first six innings, and I thought what was impressive was uh, Dusty Baker, after having these two extra inning losses and J.J. Hoover really taking a, a beating in those two games, uh, he let him come out in this ball game and try to get his act together, and Hoover did it. Yeah, I think you know you you play your one thing Dusty does that I do like, um, and maybe a lot of fans don't like it, 
But he tries to put his players in a position where they can perform well. And he knew that the first time the Hoover came out in that 13-inning game, he threw 47 pitches in, the, in that appearance, the first game, and then went 13 innings, and he ended up losing the game. And so he knew he wasn't fair to him. So you bring him into a game now. He's got a nine-run lead. He can let it rip. He was still on 94-95 today and with a great slider. I mean, the Cardinals were completely overpowered by him today. Now, we'll see what happens next time out. But now they got Sean Marshall back, who looked very good yesterday. Uh, and fortunately, I think that – I don't know what happened. Yeah, I think the Reds – have had a quality start in each game so far. So their starters have gone at least six innings every game. And after this first week of craziness and extra inning games, their bullpen should be ready tomorrow. Roxton did not pitch today. Chapman did not pitch today. Marshall did not pitch today. So the Cardinals are going to have their hands full the rest of the week. Okay, well, like I said, the Indians lost 11-6 to to the Yankees. Their record is now 3-4. and four. But most importantly is the fact that, and I just got this coming across the wire here, was that Carlos Santana of the Indians did suffer a left thumb contusion in the loss. He's going to undergo x-rays. Mark, he's been off to a fantastic start uh, in this season. He also played for the Dominican Republic during the WBC. But I'll tell you what. What happened was in the eighth inning, I'm sorry, in the ninth inning, Chris Perez came in to get some work for the Indians and crossed up Perez uh, with a runner at second base. Now, I've been a catcher. You've been a pitcher. Uh, I think if you are simpatico between the pitchers and the catchers, these signs are pretty easy. They're not exactly brain surgery to figure out signs, but Chris Perez seems to have a problem figuring out signs coming in from his catcher. And this is not the first time he's done it, but this time it may cost the Indians uh, their catcher for a substantial period of time, and I'm, I'm just hoping not. Well, I remember as far back as, what, three years ago, you talking about Perez and what a great arm he had. Your question about him was what was between his ears. And a couple of the comments he's made over the years I know have ticked off a lot of Indians fans. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe deservingly, maybe he was getting in the face of the fans for a reason. I don't know. But I remember him uh, getting on management and a general manager in the front office. Well, you know, if you've got a 138 ERA like Chapman over the last two or three years and you're throwing 104 and you're striking everybody out, you get away with that stuff. <clears throat> when you're not, when you're hurting your catcher or you're getting beat up or you're not consistent or the guys on the bench don't like you, uh, that usually means you're going to be on, you're, you're going to be having a different address before the end of the year. Yeah, it absolutely does. And um, I'll tell you what, Travis Hafner came back to Cleveland today and had an outstanding ball game for the Indians too, or for the, yeah. the Yankees, I should say, not the Indians. Yeah, I saw that home run, and I was thinking about you <laughs> and your comments about Hafner over the years, how he gets hurt picking up his little baby, and he's hurt all the time. And the irony is, you know, you trade the guy away, and he comes back and hits a three-run home run against you. Uh, but everybody knows that if Travis Hafner is healthy, uh, he can be a devastating hitter. I mean, I, I remember before all this string of injuries, I, I'm not sure when was it, 2007 or 2008, 
he was a he was a monster. I mean, he was. Remember all the Grand Slam home runs he hit uh, over a period of two years. Uh, the, the guy has a huge bat, and if he's healthy, he can really help the Yankees. Well, and it's amazing how much a ten million dollar pay cut can make a guy lose weight. Um, he he's in shape. He was ready to go to this year's training camp. I, I again, Mark, I, I agree with you. He has got an excellent bat when he plays. That's the problem. Uh, he gets hurt, which has led to all the uh, the steroid allegations as to whether or not he was on the juice back in 2006, seven and eight, because it was in 2000, latter part of 2008, and then nine when they started really uh, coming down on this stuff. And that's when he started having the injury problems. And a lot of people believe that he, he was on the juice, and that's led to, to the problems that he's had. But today he came back to haunt his, his uh, former teammates in a big way with that three-run homer, and then he had another base hit uh, later on in the ball game. But the Indians lose this afternoon. I guess, Mark, they should have known it was going to be a tough day when Terry Francona who lives two and a half blocks from the stadium, got lost on his walk to the stadium. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that'll do it to you. I don't exactly know how he got lost because I know that area very well, so I don't exactly know what he did. But, yeah, Terry Francona got lost on his first game uh, as manager of the Indians at home. But, hey, I want to go back to last week, Mark, and Ryan Ludwig. We did find out that He's got a torn labrum. Uh, after that separated shoulder, he did undergo surgery on Wednesday. What's the prognosis on him? I've heard a couple of different things from one month to three months. What's what's the story? I heard a 14 to 16 weeks. So that's three and a half to four months. And then you got to figure it's going to take some time for him to come back. You know, maybe the all-star break, uh, maybe shortly thereafter. Uh, but... You really can't count on him now for the rest of the year. But this is, number one, we've been talking about Chris Heisey for a long time. He had a couple doubles today. and uh, But the guy who intrigues me because of the quickness of his bat is Xavier Paul. Uh, this was a guy who was a high draft pick for the Dodgers, signed by the Dodgers years ago. Uh, I think he's only 25, 26, something like that. Uh, he's still a young man. And he, he can hit. He's a great defensive outfielder. And, you know, if you look at a, a platoon between Xavier Paul and Chris Heisey, uh, I don't think the Reds are going to be hurt that bad because they pick up a lot of speed. They pick up defense. And I like Ryan Ludwig okay. I mean, I think he's a, a C-plus player. Uh, he had a big year last year, but it was only the second half of the year. If you remember the first half of the year, he was hitting 150 in June and had very few RBIs. So he got a lot of opportunities when uh, Roland and Vado were out, so he was in the middle of the lineup. And so I really don't think that the Reds are going to be suffering that much from him. But what a great opportunity for Heisey and Xavier Paul. And I think those two guys are going to be able to pick up the slack and Xavier Paul so far, I think he's got, what, he's three for five or three for six. Uh, he's driven in five runs, uh, hit a grand slam home run on Friday night, and plays great defense. So Heisey better get his butt in gear because he's running out of chances. Well, Heisey um, went two for six today. 
Uh, left a couple runners on base, did have an RBI, but like you said, Xavier Paul came in as a pitch hitting, and I thought that was a key at bat in that ball game, Mark. Uh, Dusty Baker rolled the dice. He pinch hit Xavier Paul for Zach Cozart, and Paul came through with a big base hit that, that really helped the Reds. It drew him within one run. Uh, no, that tied the game, actually. Well, okay. Um, it tied it at, at four all, and you know, you have to get people are always giving grief to Dusty Baker, but that you're right. That was a that was a gutsy move to take out your starting shortstop, and it's he doesn't get credit when he does stuff like that. Now, if Xavier Paw had struck out, then you know Dusty Baker's a bum. But it was the right move. Zach Cozart looks terrible at the plate. He had a couple of home runs in, in Friday night's game. I think those are his. I think he's got three hits, two home runs and a single, and he, he's hitting a, I don't know one twenty or something like that. So why not take him down? There, there's no reason to put him up there. Now a lot of people would have said, well, Dusty Baker kept him in there just to make him feel good. He didn't want to show him up, but you're trying to win a game. And Xavier Paul, I'm telling you, he's got a quick bat. And he yanked that thing in the right field for a base hit. It was a huge hit at the time. You know, we've gotten a couple of uh, tweets so far, Mark. People are wondering why we're on so early. It's purely selfish reasons on our part. Uh, the NCAA championship game is this evening at 9.20, and Mark and I wanted to watch the game. So <laughs> this is a one-time thing, folks. We're only going to be on at 8 o'clock one time. So next week we'll go back to our regular 9 o'clock time slot. Uh, and don't forget, you. we did announce this over the last two weeks. Yes, we did. We've, we've let people know that, it, that we were going to do this, but we'll be back to a regular 9 o'clock slot uh, next week. You know, you brought up you, you brought up Cozart, Mark, before we switch back over to the Indians. Before they pinch hit for him with Xavier Paul, he was 0 for 3 with two strikeouts, and he had left two men on base. You're right. He is not looking comfortable at the plate. Yeah, and Xavier Paul is a great fastball hitter. Uh, I forget who the, the uh, pitcher was for the Cardinals, but he was a fastball pitcher. And Dusty made the right move. And, you know, right now, again, the, the team, they're playing great ball against good ball clubs. And not that it's going to happen. It probably won't happen. But if the Reds were to go on, and let's say they sweep the Cardinals and they go into Pittsburgh this weekend and they sweep the Cardinals and they sweep the Pirates, they're going to have a five or six game lead on those teams in the first month of the year. And I am not a believer that games are more important in September than they are in April. They are not. Every win is a win. And if you can build up a three, four, five, six game lead in April, you put a huge amount of pressure on the teams that you are ahead of. And the Reds have a chance to do that in the toughest part of the schedule for the year. If you've not seen the Reds' schedule, look at it in April. I mean, they have by far, in my opinion, the hardest schedule in baseball for the first month. And yeah, if they it, can come it, You're right, Mark, it is. It's a monster schedule. I'm going to pull it up right here real quick. I know they go to St. Louis twice. They play the Nationals twice. They play Pittsburgh, I think, three times this month. Uh, they, they do play the Marlins for three games. I think they play the Cubs. Uh, is it six games or three against the Cubs? I forget. But they, they have a tough schedule, and particularly in the first, uh, I guess, two weeks, it was, I thought, particularly tough. 
Yeah, after after the Cardinals, they've got the Pirates this weekend, and I don't want to jinx the Reds, but the Pirates are not exactly the Pirates of old. They've only scored eight runs in their first six games this year, and they're batting 115 as a team. It's just awful. After Pittsburgh this weekend, they come home and they play the Phillies for three, then they've got the Marlins for four, they've got the Cubs for three, then they go to Washington for a four-game set, and they wrap up the month at St. Louis. Yeah, that, that's uh, on the road. Those last seven games <clears throat> against the Nationals and St. Louis. I mean, those, that's that's killer. <clears throat> but I, I saw this the, the rotation this weekend uh, against the Pirates. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, Mike Leto's Friday night, and then Johnny Cueto Saturday, and Matt Latos on Sunday. So if you're the Pirates, good luck. They better win on Friday night because they're going to have their hands full on Saturday and Sunday. Well, don't forget our Ask Us segment coming up in about 15 minutes here on tonight's show. We're going to bring in Greg, and he's going to uh, bring us the questions that our listeners have sent in this week, Mark. But let's switch over to the Indians just for a little bit. We've already talked, touched upon the Santana injury and Chris Perez. Scott Casimir, I really feel sorry for this guy. He battled his way back and picked up the fifth spot in the rotation, won it with the way that he pitched out in Arizona. And then Monday, when he was just basically throwing on the side in Toronto, he injured his abdominal and ribcage area playing catch. And now he's going to miss the next two or three. He starts. He's been put on the 15-day DL. Just a tough injury for Scott Casimir, and they brought up Trevor Bauer to pitch on Saturday. Just a one-shot thing simply because they wanted to bring up Daisuke Matsusaka. But because of the situation that he's in, had they brought him up, Mark, he would have had to go through waivers in order for them to send him back down, and they knew that Carrasco was going to actually take the next start when Casimir's spot came up in the rotation, and they didn't want to take a chance, so they brought up Trevor Bauer, who they got in the Drew Stubbs Shinsu Chu deal back in January. They brought him up, and boy, did he have a tough time. <laughs> he walked the first four batters. Uh, he ended up pitching five and a third innings and really battled. I'll give the kid credit. He did battle throughout everything, but he ended up giving three <laughs> runs, all of them earned. He walked seven, struck out two, and gave up five hits. So, And and what got me was, Mark, he looked like a deer in headlights Saturday night, which rather surprised me because this was not his first major league start. Well, that's the same thing that I think Arizona fans have seen over the last several years with this kid. And I, I saw him pitch twice last year. There's no question he's got the arm. And it, it's finding that release point. To me, he, he looked like he was all over the place in terms of his release point. And he, was, he would throw across his body one pitch and then throw uh, seemingly a good pitch the next pitch, but he couldn't repeat anything. So I didn't see him pitch today. I don't know what the problem was. But uh, there's no question he's got the arm. And you, you just hope that somebody can reach him and... and Get his head together. Well, and Ubaldo Jimenez, my favorite Indian, um, pitched the first game, the second game of the year out in Toronto and pitched very well. I was extremely impressed. I was impressed with what he did during uh, 
training camp also, Mark, but then today he was just a mess. Uh, gave up three runs in the first inning, and, and they ended up pulling him in the fifth inning, and we were down 6-3 to three in that ball game. They've made some improvements to his uh, mechanics. They've made him speed up just a little bit before he was taking so many seconds and even minutes in between pitches. I know you're not supposed to, but the umpires don't call that anymore. He was taking so much time in between pitches, Mark, that his his fielders were actually falling asleep. Uh, now he, they've got him sped up. They've got his mechanics uh, in his delivery. They've seemed to have smoothed that out. They've got him to just concentrate on three or four pitches rather than nine or ten. He has looked good. Today was a rough outing. I'm going to withhold opinion on him for at least the first month of the season. Right now, I mean, today he pitched four in the third innings. He gave up seven hits, seven runs, all of them earned. He walked three and struck out four. So it wasn't a great outing. The bullpen, although, came in for the Indians, and they didn't do much of anything either. So it was just one of those days. Uh, too bad it happened in front of the uh, opening day crowd of about 42,000. But that stuff happens. The Indians are now 3-4, and four, and they've got to come back tomorrow, bounce back, uh, and win these next three games against the Yankees coming up at the uh, end of the week. But I'll tell you what, Mark, this catching situation for the Indians is turning out to be a nightmare because Lou Marston had to be taken out of the game Saturday night. He suffered a concussion. He did catch today when Santana had to leave the game in the ninth inning. But they may uh, be down to bringing up somebody from the minor leagues. I don't know. But that catching situation is really turning out to be a tenuous thing for the Indians right now. It's, it's amazing to me. You see the, the punishment that these catchers take. Uh, uh, the Cardinals catcher, Melina, today got smashed on, on the arm with a foul tip and it then came up and hit him with the chin. And, you know, the, the average human being would be knocked out or, you know, in an emergency ward, and these guys just slough it off and go out. I mean, I only caught two or three games in my life because I had to in college, and we were out of catchers, and I hated it. I hated catching. <laughs> uh, it's Almost on every pitch, something hurts <laughs> when you're catching. So uh, I know it's the quickest way to get to the major leagues, but these guys take a, pun- take a punishment like nothing else, and, uh, boy, I don't know why anybody would want to be a catcher unless you just can't do anything else. Yeah, I mean, that. well, that was probably my problem. <laughs> you know, they always used to take the short, fat, ugly guy and put him behind the plate. Well, that was me. Anyhow, um, you know, I don't know how these guys do it. Um, their knees, by the time the end of the year comes around, Mark, they have just got to be hurting because I know in just catching uh, high school ball and summer ball, my knees, uh, they still bother me to this day from getting down in the catching position. And uh, it, it, it's a it's a hard thing to do. It's not easy. And like you said, taking all of the foul tips and everything off of these guys, it just hurts. But, you, okay, let's, let's move on to uh, what happened over the weekend. It was rather interesting, Mark, in the Indians game because when they did lose Marston on Saturday night, Francona had Santana as the DH. So for the first time in a non-interleague game since 1999, an Indians pitcher had to hit 
and that was Trevor Bauer. And the reason that Francona let him hit is because he had experience hitting from the National League. He was the only one that, that had experience on the Indians pitching staff, and he wanted him to go another couple of innings, so they let Bauer hit. They lost their DH spot, which leads me to a question that I want to ask you before we take our break here, Mark. With the fact that the interleague play is going to be every night because of the so-called balanced leagues now since Houston moved over to the American League, don't you think that finally something has to be done with the DH rule one way or the other? Well, all I know is I think they celebrated, what, the 40th anniversary? Uh, I think it was today or this weekend. And I, I never understood why they did it. I don't understand why they continue to do it. Uh, as Joe Torrey said, and he managed in the American League for God knows how long, uh, it's such a better game in the National League when you don't have it. Now, I know you like the DH, or at least you did. But I, I don't understand why you need it. And it, it does add a dimension when you have that pitcher coming up, and it makes pitchers become better hitters. They work at it. Uh, you have a guy like Mike Leake who has a you know 52 hits in three years, and so it, it's I don't know. I'm not a fan of it. Maybe I'm too traditional. But uh, what is your? Why do you like it, and why do you think they ought to keep it? Well, I. I've never really been that big of a fan of it, to be honest with you. I don't remember ever saying that I, I was. Um, I, I like the pitcher actually being in there and the manager actually having to make the decision on whether or not to keep him in or, or take him out. Well, wait a I, minute. I do, if you and I agree on this, why don't we just call Bud Seelig up and say, look, Mark and Dave don't think you ought to have the DH anymore. Get rid of the damn thing. Because because Bud isn't going to listen to anybody but Bud. Oh, okay. Well, I thought I had a good idea there. <laughs> or maybe the Bud. I don't know. One one or the other, considering he comes from Milwaukee. Uh, Mark, away for, a little bit away from the Reds and the Indians, um, you wrote a book. <laughs> and uh, it's being made into a, to a uh, motion picture. But we're going to start advertising uh, your book on our show coming up tonight, and basically what I want to do is, uh, for the first ad, we're going to go ahead and run this, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? Go ahead. All right. This is the ad on Mark's book, Last In Baseball, Cincinnati announced today that they have signed outfielder Dylan Michael to the largest contract in the history of the amateur baseball draft. Michael, only 18 years old and a student of Stanford, led the nation in average and home runs. He projects to be in the Queen City sometime next year after at least a full season in the minors. Last at Bat, a novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Duff, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. Now, this was uh, an ad, Mark, that was also run on uh, WLW down in Cincinnati. And basically, it... Uh, well, you go, you go ahead and explain it. Well, when I first wrote the book... Uh, we test marketed it uh, in Dayton just to see how it, it would sell. And we were, my, my agent told me we might sell 100 copies of the book. And, but what it would do, uh, when you have 100 people who read the book that aren't your family and friends, <laughs> they will give you a pretty good idea of what they think about the book. So we wanted to see what the, the objective response was before we had a national release. 
Well, we were very surprised. Uh, the book got out there. Uh, people liked it. We had some press locally here in Dayton, and we ended up selling a couple thousand copies of the book. We actually sold out on, on the first run of the book. So that got me some attention. Uh, I got a call from Hollywood about the book. Uh, ended up making a deal with a production company. And lo and behold, uh, they're supposed to start production sometime this year uh, for Last and Bad. But we, we set up some marketing then uh, through WLW down in Cincinnati and some other radio stations. And, uh, it, you know, it, we just re again, we just released it here in Ohio, but we did very well with it. And we're very happy with the response. Uh, so we've decided to allow the fans that listen to us uh, to get a little break on this book, and uh, as, as you heard, it's being sold at Barnes and Noble and Books and Company and so on. Uh, but uh, we have sold out of those books, so I'm allowed now to sell the book anywhere I want, since we're not competing with the stores <laughs> that stock the book. So the book was selling for $27.95, and we have a little promotion here for our listeners uh, that they can buy the book through us uh, for $19.95. And uh, so we're, if people are interested, they can, they can buy the book. They can order it online, uh, go to our website, and uh, they can see a cover of the book. And you'll be able to hear some of these spots that highlight the different aspects of the book between uh, over the next two or three weeks. And if it's of interest to you, uh, look up our website, and you can order the book. And I will, I will for, just for our listeners, I will autograph every book, and we'll send it out to you by, by mail. And uh, you'll hopefully you'll like it. And any uh, little tidbits of information you can give us on the movie? Uh, I can probably next week or the week after. We're negotiating with uh, the, the, the young man who's going to play uh, Dylan Michael. And uh, the, the story, uh, for those of you who don't know what it's about, uh, I think there's some, um, some stuff online you can see. You can go to our um, www.drw2mediagroup.com, and there you'll be able to see our trailer for the film and our, our other films and books that we have uh, ready to be released. But it's an exciting process, and uh, for somebody, I know you and I have been in the financial world most of our lives. Uh, to get out and do something different, like write a book and make a movie. Uh, it was a lark, uh, something I didn't really think was going to happen. But it's been fun, and the response we've gotten on the book has just been terrific. And uh, So I'm very happy with that, even if, if the movie wasn't made. I, I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Well, I know you and I have discussed this, and, and I think I can go ahead and announce that I will be making my major motion picture debut in this movie as a ticket taker. Yeah, we, we have a role carved out just for you. Now, you're going to have to have your, your people call my, my people to negotiate your contract, but uh, yeah, they will be in the movie. We're, we're going to bring in my chief negotiator, Greg Mitchell, right now. <laughs> Greg's going to negotiate every aspect of my contract because uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Greg doesn't know I'm going to tell everybody this, but um, the website, ultimatesportstalk.com, we got to pat this, this guy on the back because from what I understand, yesterday, Greg, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the website achieved, what, 4,600 hits yesterday, which is just outstanding. Yeah, it was, uh, well, first off, great to be on again. And, uh, yeah, we, 
We had actually surpassed 4,600 yesterday. We had 4,656 uh, unique people, which means unique IP addresses, uh, log on to the website and, and check us out. This is the, by far the biggest one-day traffic we've ever had, and it was uh, it was pretty amazing. You know, it's funny, the day before that, I was I was pretty excited because I had told you, um, David, I said, well, you know, what I would do if we surpassed 3,000 hits in one day, I'd crack open a beer and celebrate. Well, so <laughs> I, did, I did that on Saturday, and come to find out it wasn't over, and yesterday we had... Uh, we had 4,600, so it was a it was a great weekend for Ultimate Sports Talk. Well, congratulations! I know you put in a lot of work on it. We brought Greg in here tonight, as we did last year, to uh, bring us our Ask Us segment. And if you've got any questions that you want to ask us, you can send us an email at askus at ultimatesportstalk.com. You can also send us a tweet. Uh, but Greg, you've got some questions from our listeners for this week. Yeah, we we actually had a, a really good showing of questions this week to pull from, and there's so many that I, I can only pick a handful to go over. Uh, so I apologize if we can't get through them all. We'll save some for next week. But uh, let's go ahead and get started. And Joe wrote into us and said, uh, "How long do you think we're going to keep hearing Stubbs would have caught that when referring to Chu in the outfield? I keep hearing that all the time." I think you're going to hear it all year, and, and, and I think it's true. But when you, when you look at that equation, when you look at a catch that Stubbs could have made that, that uh, Chu did not make, you have to factor that into the overall value beyond catching the ball. Now, in this case, as an example, he made two errors on, on, a, on two balls he should have caught. You could argue that, that Drew Stubbs would have caught them, Number one, the Reds won. So that's the most important thing. Now, every time that there's a ball in the gap he doesn't get, sure, he, uh, he'll be blamed for that. But I don't know what Stubbs is hitting. I'll make you a bet. Chu is hitting better. Chu has an on-base percentage of 550. He, is, he's, he had a two-run double in the ninth, or three-run double in the ninth inning. He, he, he had, I think, one other hit, and he walked once or twice. He's been an on-base machine. He has given the Reds precisely exactly what they want. So fans can say that all they want, but right now the Reds are 5-2, and two, and a big part of the reason they are 5-2 and two is because of two, and I don't think there's one guy in the Reds organization that would rather have Drew Stubbs back right now. Well, Mark, I am not taking that bet. Um, I don't think there's too many people that are batting better than Shinsu Chu. Um, I was, if you recall, I was one of the few people that said, I think he can handle center field, and I still do. I just saw, I didn't have a chance to see the first one that he dropped in the first inning. I saw the other one later on in the ballgame. But that first one that he dropped, Mark, was not an easy play. Um, no, it wasn't an easy play. And again, the sun was there. You could tell. When he made the turn, he was blinded. He, he, he didn't he didn't pick up the ball, and he reached out. and I, I played. And I'm sure you have too. You played in Sunfields, and I'm not defending him. I, I think he should have caught the ball. Uh, what he's going to have to do better, I think, he tends to glide. 
uh, after the ball. A lot of outfielders do that. They don't they don't burst on the crack of the bat. They try to glide under the ball, and that gets you in trouble. If he had turned and run back to center field and got his bearings, he would have caught that ball. But he'll learn. And he's a gifted athlete. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's got good speed. And sure, he's not going to... I don't know what the, 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 the defensive matrix is that they're using now, but I'm sure that Drew Stubbs is better. But Drew Stubbs is not, in my opinion, half the player that Chu is. And anybody who says he is just isn't paying attention. Right? Yeah, just a quick follow-up on that. I, I believe the stats on Stubbs before today's game, he was batting 182 and has already had one error on the season. So I, I'd say I agree with you guys on that, that it's uh, more than a wash with Chu and, and Cincinnati. But uh, Kellen follows up uh, with a question. Uh, my amigos were going over this yesterday. wanted to see what you thought. Do you think the Reds' offense has missed anything with Ludwig out on injury? <laughs> no. The Reds haven't lost a thing. I mean, you take out that first game where they got beat 3-1, to one, and uh, I know in the last three games where they had 15 runs on Friday night, they had five or six on Saturday, they had seven yesterday, they had 13 today. They're, they're creaming the ball, and they're, they're, they're getting key hits. They're hitting for power. They're hitting for average. They're taking the extra base. And I'm telling you, if, if, if they continue to hit like this, and I, I don't think they will, but if this team just scores five runs a game, four and a half runs a game, with that pitching staff, they're going to be awfully tough to beat. Were you surprised, Mark, that they put Heisey batting second and moved Phillips to clean up? No. I'm, no that's exactly what I would have done. Uh, mainly because I don't trust Heisey at cleanup. He doesn't make enough contact. Uh, and Heisey's got good speed. He's a very good bunner. And, and Brandon Phillips, if you look at the stats, his best career stats are coming out of the fourth spot. And, you know, he had a home run today. He had a clutch double uh, in the ninth inning uh, that really br- helped break the game open. So the, the Reds, uh, that's a potent offense. And you have to understand Joey Votto is hitting 210 or 215. He's not. He hasn't had a home run yet. He's got two RBIs all year, and yet they're scoring all these runs. And it, it's a it's a team effort. They're getting no help from Zach Cozart at shortstop. So, you know, and Hannigan and the catching no help. So you got three guys who are not contributing. So the rest of the team has really picked up the slack, and uh, that's without Ludwig. So. I'm impressed with the offense, and I think they're going to score a lot of runs this year. Greg? Yeah, Jamie uh, kind of goes along the same lines with it, with his question. Uh, between the Reds and the Indians, which team has the best offense right now? Oh. Oh, boy. You know, I'm, I'm going to say, from the Indian standpoint, the Reds, because the Reds have been more consistent. Uh, the Indians scored a lot of runs in Toronto, and then went to Tampa Bay and didn't score any runs in the first two ball games, and then scored 13 on Sunday. And today they scored six, but they gave up 11. So I would say on a consistent basis, it's been the Reds. Yeah, you look at the, the stat that I always look at toward the end of the year. It doesn't make a lot of difference right now. It's too early. 
but the run differential between teams. Uh, in the American League, Boston has a plus 19. That means they have scored 19 more runs than the opposition. Uh, they're 5-2. and two. Uh, To give you some perspective like that, Houston is a minus 19, and they're 1-5. So you can tell. And the Indians, we see Cleveland Indians are, they're zero. They're, they're neither plus nor minus. That means they've scored 34 runs, and they've given up 34 runs. The Reds, on the other hand, lead Major League Baseball. They're a plus 26. They scored 51 runs in, in only seven games. So they're, they're, they're averaging more than seven runs a game right now. And uh, I think the Reds, are, I agree with Dave, right now uh, the Reds are just they're pounding the ball. They're, they're going to have a slump, I guarantee you. They're, they're going to have a slump. But right now the team that is second in the league has a plus four differential. That's the Cardinals. The Reds are plus 26. And, Mark, I look at what they did this weekend against Washington. 15, 6, and 6. And Washington has got, arguably, the best starting staff in the National League. Yeah, and they could have scored even more yesterday against Strasburg. Uh, he got out of a lot of tough jams, two double plays, uh, you know, with runners in first and second with nobody out. And they could have scored even more runs. So what they're doing, they're getting on base and they're not striking out a lot. Conversely, I think the Reds have now struck out 70 batters in, in seven games. So they're averaging 10 strikeouts a game, and they're not striking out very much. So when you get the ball in play with the speed they have, Jay Bruce today had four hits, and I, I note at least two of them were infield hits, and he had two infield hits over the weekend. He's, just, he's making contact now. He wasn't the first couple of games, but he is now. And rather than going up there and trying to hit a five-run home run, He's putting the bat on the ball. He's driving in some runs, and he's getting on base. He was on base five times today. Greg? Okay. Uh, Hurdle KJ says, guys, I'm a big fan of the show. Been listening each week. I, heard, I haven't heard this mentioned, so I thought I'd ask you, who is the one player for the Reds and Indians that their team can't do without? That's a good question. Um I think you have to bifurcate an everyday player from a pitcher because uh, if, if you take out any one pitcher off that staff, uh, I think the Reds are still a contender. Even, even if you lost Cueto, uh, if you lost Chapman, if you lost uh, Latos, you have enough stuff behind them that I don't think any one pitcher is indispensable. Uh, from the hitting side... Even though he's not been hitting yet, Joey Votto just makes that lineup so much stronger. They, even when he's not making good contact like now, they pitch around him. He walked, I think, twice today, and then he got a single to drive in a run. So he's always in the mix, even if he's not hitting well. So I would say from the Reds' perspective, the guy they can't do without, even though they won 97 games last year without him most of the year, is Joey Votto. I'm going to take a different approach at this question, and I think the guy that the Indians cannot do without has absolutely nothing to do with his on-the-field productivity. I think what Nick Swisher has brought to this team, along with Francona, but I'm going to say Swisher, 
is excitement, a looseness, a camaraderie among this team, and he's brought some togetherness to it. And I think he just keeps everybody um, happy. And he, he generates excitement. And I think if the Indians lost him for a long period of time, not so much in the lineup, but out of the locker room, I think they would be hurting. Uh, so I'm going to say Nick Swisher. I think he was an outstanding sign, just not so much for the bat and the on-field, but what he brings from off the field into the clubhouse. My, my vote would be Nick Swisher. Okay. Uh, I, I want to get this question in really quick. Um, because Karen, uh, she's, a, she's a fan who's written into us a couple of times, uh, but we haven't been able to read her questions over the air. Um, she says, it's not really a baseball question, but she, but I'll ask it anyway. She wants to know how uh, good-looking I am? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've got your picture up on, uh, on the blog, or, you know, on uh, our website. So, and it's in, uh, it's in millions wanna... of basements now scaring mice away. Yeah, lots of pixels and everything on that computer. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, no, Karen says, I'm taking the kids to the ballpark, and not being a sports fan, I don't really know what they serve. What is your favorite food item at the ballpark? And she puts in, in uh, parentheses, I bet Dave's is a dollar dog, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> and believe it or not, Mark and Greg, the first... Indians dollar dog night is Friday. <laughs> um, well, Greg, I know you know what mine is. Nachos. Nachos oh, with yeah. a lot of the a lot of the cheese and the jalapeno peppers. I mean, if I'm going to the ballpark, I've got to have the nachos. Mark. Well, in Cincinnati, I've been to. I think I've been to every stadium. Uh, I can't think of one I haven't been to. And the, the best food I've ever had in a stadium was Dodger Stadium. Uh, they have just a great food out there. It's, it's anything from sushi to steak, if you want, out there. Uh, but in Cincinnati, if you're going to go down an economical family trip, uh, their brats, I think, are great. Don't forget that uh, Cincinnati was known as Porkopolis. That was the original name of Cincinnati. And they, they serve good pork products. But if you'd like a good brat, uh, bratwurst, uh, I, they're, they're terrific. And they have so much variety now at these ballparks. You can get a salad. Uh, you can get just about any kind of food you can think of you can find in a major league ballpark today. Do they have the they have the Skyline Chili at the ballpark, Mark, down there? Oh, yeah, they do. And they also now, I don't know why they put it in there, but now you can buy a Frisch's Big Boy. Uh, at the ballpark. I mean, you can buy those things all the time. I don't know why you want to have them in the ballpark. But uh, the soft pretzels are great down there. So uh, it's it really is. If you if you sit in the in the moon deck out there, it's relatively cheap to get in, and it's a great family deal uh, to go down to a ballpark. And uh, I, I always like seeing a, a father and son or a mother and son or a mother and daughter for that matter sitting there eating hot dogs and watching a ball game it, it just it just makes you feel good that things haven't changed over 150 years or whatever baseball's been around you, you know what I'm happy about what the Indians did besides the signings was that they reduced the price of a hot dog uh, on 
any other game except for a dollar dog night. Uh, they've actually made the hot dogs $3 now, which I, I think it's still expensive, but it's it's more affordable than the, the $4.50 and $5.50 hot dogs that they had available at the ballpark. i, I got to give the Indians credit, guys. I, I think during the winter, over the last couple of years, they've heard and seen what the crowd complained about and why the fans weren't coming to the ballpark. And I think they've taken steps to really alleviate those problems. So the last couple of years, Mark and Greg, you know I've been on the Indians' backs uh, like an albatross. But this year I'm going to give them credit for the first time in a long time. They, they've really listened to the fans and they've done, done some things to improve things. The thing about the Indians that people can't forget is it wasn't that long ago, you couldn't get a ticket to that stadium. You couldn't get a ticket. They were sold out. They had a good, they had a great team. They had a tremendous fan base. And I think the Indian ownership is smart enough to understand if they just start putting the pieces back together, working, and you've got to do it from the ground up. You've got to work with that farm system, working your way back up. But that that is a goldmine franchise waiting to happen if the owners just approach it the correct way. There, there is a riddle to be solved here, and you know if you do it right, Indians fans will show up. Yeah, they will. Greg? All right, last question really quick, and and uh, this may be a question we'll have to, to touch base with again next week, but uh, Jerry wrote in, and I really like this question, uh, he says, they were talking on the radio about worst injuries in Cincinnati history. What's the worst injury for the Reds and the worst injury for the Indians of all time? P.S. I love the show, guys. Can't get enough of it. Wish you did it more than just once a week. You know, Mark, I wonder what he means um, by the worst injury. Does he mean like what we saw out of Louisville in the basketball tournament? Or does he mean as far as the worst injury for the team? I think he means the worst injury for the team, and in my mind, it's a no-brainer for the Reds. Uh, the worst injury I ever heard, and this is unbelievable. I was listening to a Reds game. It had to be in 1997, 98, something like that. Tom Browning was pitching, and he oh. broke his left arm, and you could hear it on the radio. And that's and I'm not exaggerating. You could hear the crack. And you, you heard the announcers. I'm sure Joe Nuxall was, was, was the announcer with Marty Brennan. And they were physically ill. He broke his arm on a pitch. And the same thing happened to Atlee Hammaker. He broke his arm on a pitch. It's happened before. So, Dave Dravecki. Uh, Dave Dravecki, yeah. yeah. So it's, that, that, that was the worst injury I ever saw or heard. I actually saw it on tape. In fact, I think it's on um, YouTube. You can go visit that. I forget the year, but uh, worst thing I ever saw, and I swear to God, every time I see Chapman throw, I worry. I think the worst injury, and I'm going to go a different route, that the Indians ever had as far as a team was back in 1976 or 77. One or the other was when they signed a pitcher from Baltimore named Wayne Garland to now what is a nothing contract. It was 10 years for $2.5 million total. $250,000 a year, which at the time was unheard of money. 
And the very first year, Mark, that he was with the Indians, he blew out his arm, and they didn't have Tommy John surgery back then, and that's what he needed, and he was done. And it kept the Indians from signing anybody as a free agent ever. Well, not ever, but up for about another 10, 15 years, it scared them off. And I think that was, as far as the franchise was concerned, I think that was the worst injury the Indians have had. You know, for, for fans for fans that um, can go back much further uh, than maybe you can, Dave, and certainly you can, Greg, uh, the Reds won the pennant in 1961, and the next year they were, they were favored to win in 62. And during spring training, their third baseman, Gene Freeze, who had had an all-star season the year before, came sliding into second base, and I can still see this. They had it in Sports Illustrated. They showed his ankle going the opposite direction. He, he, he slid into second base, twisted his ankle, broke his ankle, and, and it actually was facing backward. And they had it on a, on a piece of film. And that was probably, you're talking about injuries, that's the one that stuck with me because the Reds never recovered. They did finish second in 1962, but uh, that, that was a very graphic uh, photograph that stuck with me my whole life. And, and got, real quick, I forgot about this one. My dad will kick me for not – that was not the worst injury. i got to take it back. The worst injury the Indians ever had, Mark, you'll remember this one, Herb Score. Oh, yeah. sure. Well, who, hit, who hit the pitch? I think it was Gene Bearden. I, no. no, or was – I, I can't remember who swung, who hit the pitch, but it hit him in the face, right be, right below the eye. He was a promising left-hander. They were comparing him uh, to the all-time greats, Whitey Ford and, and pitchers like that, and uh, he was never the same. It, it was Gil McDougal, a second baseman for the Yankees, had a line drive back through the box, and I can still see that. I, I don't know how I saw it. Uh, maybe it was a film clip. But I saw that, and he, he never recovered. I mean, he, he recovered. He came back to pitch again, but he was never the same. He was never he was never the same. Guys, I know it's quick. We've got to end the show, and Greg, you've got to go too. But before I let you both go, uh, we started the show tonight early because of the NCAA title game. It's going to be here in about a half an hour. I can't let you go without your picks. Greg, you go first. Louisville or Michigan? Well, I've got to I've got to stick with who I picked in my bracket on Ultimate Sports Talk uh, with our competition, and I chose Louisville from the beginning, and and sure enough, they're in the championship, so I can't bail on them now. Yeah, but that's easy, Greg. I picked Louisville too. I have Louisville by eleven. What do you have? <laughs> uh, I have them by six. Okay. Uh, there is no yeah. way. On God's green earth, I would ever pick Michigan for anything. So I'm going with Louisville. I picked Louisville from the beginning, and I'm going to stick with it, and I'm going to take Louisville by seven. We're all going to look pretty stupid next week if Michigan wins, you know. Well, if Michigan wins anything, I think everybody looks stupid, but that's another story. (laughs) You're a bitter man. You're bitter. Greg, thank you very much for tonight. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure. Good job, Greg. Well, Mark, uh, we've got just a few seconds to go. I want to get your uh, comment very quickly on Pete Rose's comments earlier this week. I don't know if you heard them or not in Grantland Magazine about baseball's unwritten rules being stupid. Agree or disagree? We'll get into more of it next week, but just off the cuff, agree or disagree? Agree. I I agree, too. I Yep. There are some, like I said, we'll get into more of it next week. Red schedule this week, what is it, Mark? 
Well, they got two more games with the Cardinals. They have an off day on Thursday, and then they have a weekend series with Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. And if the Reds can win the next five games, uh, watch out, National League Central. This could be over soon. Indians have the Yankees tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, and then the White Sox come to town, the progressive field. And again, first dollar dog night, Friday. Mark, until next week, we'll be back at 9 o'clock next week. We'll talk to you then. Have a good one, Greg, or uh, David. <laughs> Bye-bye. For Mark Donahue and Greg Mitchell, I am Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight, everyone, and be sure to join me again on Thursday night on Blog Talk Radio with the BBA Baseball Talk Show. I'll be back then, but we'll be back again next Monday night at our usual time, 9 o'clock, for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, go Louisville. Have a good night, everybody.